Indian Lake, WXLQ, Bristol, Vermont, WNYV, Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The governor and attorney general, Tis James, are pushing for greater consumer protections as part of the state's 2024 agenda. Like marketing that exploits unsophisticated or vulnerable consumers or children. Predatory lending practices like student loan services. Also, according to a new report, the U.S. is nearly 4 million homes short. It says New York State alone needs about 240,000 more homes for everyone who lives here. And that problem, by the way, is getting more severe in rural America and small towns. Also on the show, Chef Curtis Hem shares a recipe for simple, healthy oatmeal pancakes. You know, it's not just, oh, diet fair. It's actually really good gut health food. All that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Mountain Orthotic and Prosthetic Services, a full-service practice committed to providing care for patients of all ages with offices in Lake Placid, Plattsburgh, and Malone. Details and referrals at mountainonp.com. And Blue Seed Studios, Saranac Lake, promoting community involvement in the arts on the web at blucstudios.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Jefferson County may have to pay two former county jail inmates more than $350,000. WWNY-TV reports the settlement comes from a 2022 lawsuit that alleges the county didn't provide opioid addiction medication to people incarcerated in the county jail. The New York Civil Liberties Union filed the suit on behalf of two inmates but says about a dozen were impacted. County's attorney says settling now is cost-effective. If the county agrees to the settlement, the sheriff's office will have to report the number of opioid treatment cases to the NYCLU for three years. The resolution to settle the lawsuit uh, is on the agenda for tonight's Jefferson County Board of Legislators meeting. A judge must approve the settlement. Governor Kathy Hochul announced steps for greater consumer protections as part of her 2024 agenda. She says the proposals would protect everyone from students paying off loans to increasing temporary disability payments and to curbing medical debt. Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul says she'll ask the state legislature to close some loopholes in existing laws to make it easier to punish predatory business practices. I'm proposing the first major expansion to New York's consumer protection laws in more than 40 years. That would make unfair and abusive practices illegal and give the attorney general's office a path to punish 
predatory operators. Hochul says New York is one of only seven states that does not provide those protections. The governor was joined by New York's Attorney General Letitia James. James says the law will give her tools to prosecute numerous instances of consumer fraud, including what's known as deed theft, when scammers take the title to someone's home without the homeowner's knowledge or approval. The AG says the changes could also help her prosecute fraudsters who prey on the elderly. Like marketing that exploits unsophisticated or vulnerable consumers or children, predatory lending practices like student loan services that intentionally steer borrowers to the most expensive loan plans. Hochul says other proposals include helping people with diabetes avoid sky-high prices for insulin by banning insurance companies from requiring co-pays for the medicine. The governor says she wants to raise a 35-year-old cap on weekly temporary disability payments. They restrict maximum weekly payments to just $170 a week. She says the new plan increases that amount to what's now offered for temporary family leave. And we're going to tie it to the statewide average weekly wage just as we do for family leave and that's going to be a dramatic increase it'll receive it'll be 67 percent of the weekly average for the state of new york which comes out to about $1,250 a week instead of 170 And finally, Hochul says she's proposing legislation to protect low-income New Yorkers from being sued for medical debt and limit the amount of monthly payments and interest that health providers can charge to repay that money. The governor says the measures represent the first plank of her state-of-the-state agenda. She'll make her full presentation on January 9th. She says in the meantime, though, she intends to roll out more proposals affecting education and public health in the coming days. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. A national nonprofit housing policy group says the housing shortage is twice as bad as it was a decade ago. According to a new report, the U.S. is nearly 4 million homes short. It says New York State alone needs about 240,000 more homes for everyone who lives here. Rural areas are especially vulnerable. Catherine Wheeler reports. Solving the housing shortage has many layers. Finding the root causes and the best long-term solutions while also trying to help people now. The nonprofit housing advocacy group Up for Growth is focused on figuring it out. CEO Mike Kingsella says that's why they put out a yearly report measuring housing underproduction or how many homes were missing across the U.S. And unfortunately, that problem has become more and more severe each year going from 2012 to present time. And that problem, by the way, is getting more severe in rural America and small towns. According to Up for Growth's new report, housing underproduction in rural communities has quadrupled since 2013. That's despite steady population loss, meaning fewer people need homes in those places. Kingsella says the problem really picked up when people from cities moved to small towns during the early months of the pandemic. It drove up prices without the same growth in homes being built. He says in rural places, there's less economic incentive to invest in creating new or maintaining existing homes. When you can rent an apartment for, let's say, 50% less than in a comparable suburban community, it's a lot more difficult to justify effectively construction costs that are the same. 
And so there are real economic problems associated with community development in rural places around the country. Kingsella says the lack of affordable housing makes problems worse in small towns and rural areas. It bleeds into the economy, education, and health care. If people can't afford a place to live, they're not going to stick around or move there in the first place. From a community perspective, we have displacement of both people and businesses that sustain community culture and traditions. We've got a shortage of homes in job centers, making it difficult to retain and recruit enough uh, employees to meet community needs. And, you know, we carry the costs one way or the other of not having enough housing. For rural communities, Kingsella says part of the solution is finding more money. We think, one, um, increasing the availability of funding sources for housing production and preservation in rural communities is essential. And so from an Albany perspective, legislative efforts around appropriating monies to housing trust funds, vouchers, and project-based grants are all critical and essential to getting more units out of the ground statewide and, and in upstate. Governor Kathy Hochul tried and failed to address the lack of affordable housing in 2023, but she says she's going to try again in the upcoming legislative session. Kingsella says fixing outdated zoning laws could get more rentals and smaller affordable homes built. And he says looking at alternative building methods and manufactured homes could be a way for rural communities to cut costs and have more affordable places to live. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, we talk with Chef Curtis Ham about pancake batter and hand whipping the egg whites. He says the fluffy, healthy oatmeal pancakes are perfect as we get back into a more rooted cooking style this season. That conversation coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Evan Veenstra in Gananoque, Ontario. Northern Light, supported by St. Lawrence Nurseries, Potsdam, accepting orders now through April 12th for cold-hardy fruit and nut trees. Details at slngrow.com. And Fort De La Presentation, helping to educate and recreate historical ventures of interest to the St. Lawrence region, fort1749.org.
A group of Clarkson University engineering students have put together a plan that recommends Potsdam town officials make almost $13 million in pedestrian safety improvements along Route 11. The Watertown Daily Times reports the study looks to address traffic in the corridor between the village and the intersection with big box stores like Walmart, Aldi, and Tractor Supply. The town listed the corridor as a risk to pedestrian safety in its 2020 comprehensive plan since people often walk or bike from the village to the shopping area. According to the Times, the goal would be to create separate walking and biking areas for pedestrians along the highway. The students' plan also proposes other safety improvements. The cost of the project would be shared between the Potsdam Town and Village and Clarkson University. With the turn of the year, we've been featuring some of our favorite stories of the year. This one is about boat building, which has been an Adirondack tradition for centuries. We meet a boat builder putting a modern spin on classic canoes in the foothills of the southern Adirondacks. This piece first aired in October. Anna Williams-Bergen has more. Stan Stunnick is in his late 70s. He and his wife Kathy build canoes. A lot of canoes. We always say it's a retirement project gone horribly wrong. That project is Slipstream Watercrafts, a canoe and kayak business nestled in Broad Alban, a small town about an hour north of Albany. The Zunnicks got into building boats in the 1970s. Kathy was doing whitewater slalom, where competitors race kayaks or decked canoes through churning rapids. Zunnick says that back then, you couldn't buy a good boat for the sport. They were too heavy. They were more commercial-oriented, so we built our own boat. Other paddlers saw them racers and they like them and it just gradually grew to the point that we were building a lot of racing boats. Five world champions have paddled their boats. The Zdunnecks took over a decade off boat building and lived on a houseboat. In the early 2010s, diesel prices got high and they decided to start making boats again. We specialize in incredibly lightweight boats. Some of our boats are less than 10 pounds. To get them that light, the Zdunnicks use materials like Kevlar and carbon. Some boats are hand-laminated, while others are made through vacuum-bagged infusion, a high-tech process that makes boats lighter while keeping the same strength. Sometimes people will get into them and they'll say, gosh, it feels a little tippy. And it's not that the boat is tippy in the sense that it's unstable, but they're not accustomed to the fact that the boat they're sitting in weighs less than one of their arms. All of this is pretty cutting edge, but Slipstream's designs have deep historic roots. To understand their boats, you need to know one name that's really important in the canoeing world. John Henry Rushton, who built boats in Canton starting in the late 1800s. People will say, oh, somebody is a generation ahead of their time or something like that. But John, his boats have not been improved on. Zdunek could talk about John Henry Rushton for a long time. And one of his most famous boats, the Rushton Wee Lassie. Every company practically that builds canoes will build a Rushton Wee Lassie. Nobody has improved on the Wee Lassie in more than 100 years. Most of the canoes Slipstream makes mimic Rushton's designs exactly. They're just a lot lighter because they're made of Kevlar and carbon and not wood. His lines are clean. When you paddle, for example, a Rushton Wee Lassie, it's quiet. It's not pushing up a bow wave that splashes. When you look at the stern, you can barely tell the boat has gone through the water. Your paddle disturbs the water much more than a 10 and a half foot boat. There aren't a ton of other businesses that specialize in ultralight boats, especially outside of the Adirondacks. 
So people come to Slipstream from all over the U.S. It's funny, there is a physician, a cardiologist in Seattle, Washington. He's a paddler. So paddlers who tend to have cardiac problems, they will gravitate to his practice. When he tells them, you can't lift any more than 10 pounds anymore, he literally writes a prescription for a slipstream wheel assy and specifies less than 10 pounds. He sold eight boats for us so far. Some New York State rangers also use their boats. Zdanek says they beat them up, doing things like firefighting and search and rescue. Once, a ranger used a slipstream canoe to paddle an outhouse across Blue Mountain Lake. Zdanek says that paddlers are some of the nicest people out there. We've had people show up at our shop buying a boat for two or $3,000 and forgot their wallet or their checkbook. And I can think of at least three occasions when we've said, take the boat, send us a check. Never, ever had an issue. Never. When they started Slipstream, Zdanek says they had a motto. Fun, low stress, and debt-free. That's worked out, and then some. On average, they make four boats a day. They have nine employees, and they've turned down multiple offers to buy their business. As the Zdaneks are in their late 70s, I asked if they plan to retire anytime soon. When we can't walk or breathe, probably... But the Zdunnocks are starting to transition Slipstream into an employee-owned cooperative. That will keep Slipstream local and let them stay as deeply involved as they want to be. For North Country Public Radio's North Country at Work project, I'm Anna Williams-Bergen. This story first aired in October. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresky. In just a minute, a healthier start to the morning and the new year, oatmeal pancakes. Chef Curtis Hem shares his favorite recipe with us. After that, stick around for Bird Note coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather. We have cloudy skies in the forecast today, probably tomorrow as well, and then maybe some sunshine on Friday, according to the Weather Service. Uh, highs this afternoon in the low 30s, low to mid 30s with light winds out of the southeast. Then tonight, lows uh, upper 20s, low 30s overnight. Tomorrow, maybe some scattered snow showers with highs upper 20s, low 30s. And then Friday, a high near 30 with partly to mostly sunny skies, according to the weather service at least. Saturday and Sunday at this point, the extended forecast clouds. Highs in the 20s near 30. Right now in Canton, cloudy skies, 31 degrees. Ready for a healthier start to the morning or to the new year? Chef Curtis Hem has a simple recipe for a whole grain version of a favorite breakfast dish, pancakes using rolled oats rather than flour. He says it's a satisfying and nourishing breakfast to fuel you through your morning. Chef Curtis Hem knows a lot about food. He loves to teach and get people passionate about it any time of the year. He taught at Paul Smith College and in Burlington. And these days, he and his family live in Peru, New York, in the Champlain Valley, where he runs the Carriage House Cooking School. He's also the executive chef at the View Restaurant at the Mirror Lake Inn and Resort and Spa in Lake Placid. 
Placid. I caught up with him by phone this week to talk about pancake batter made in the blender, the best way to get fluffier flapjacks by hand whipping the egg whites, and the idea of oatmeal in pancakes. No, most people don't associate um, oatmeal with pancakes because oats are generally very heavy and they absorb a lot of liquid and they can become very dense if you're not careful. But the way that this recipe is designed, I like to fold in egg whites at the very end and it lightens it up enough. And I use a blender to mix the batch. So you get mechanical advantage. So you're really cutting the oats up into really small particle, uh-huh. which you wouldn't be able to do by hand. Mm-hmm. So, so there's some just tricks that make this work. Um, it really is glycemic healthy in the sense that you've got some complex carbohydrates. They're going to put the nutrients down in the digestive tract where they need to be. So, you know, it's not just, oh, diet fear. It's actually really good gut health food. So that was the, that was the premise of this dish, was mm-hmm. something that was super, super healthy. It also has great satiated properties in the sense that you eat it. Oats as a whole generally tend to tame your hunger down because the nutrients go further down the digestive tract. So you need a blender. You need a blender. Yeah, you need a blender. You could do this with a um, an immersion blender, just mm-hmm. the same. It would work if you had like a mason jar. So yeah, we can walk through this. It's really it's really simple. Um, the hardest part is kind of whipping some eggs yeah. at the end. But I tend to just put the the oats, the powder, the baking powder, which is your leavener. So there is a chemical leavener involved. Mm-hmm. So we have the oats, the baking powder, the sugar, the syrup, the eggs, the cinnamon, and the salt in the body of a blender. We're going to add two-thirds of the water, so that's roughly a cup of water. We puree that, and you're holding back that half a cup of water, um, and you're just going to add that until, until you feel like you've got a really good, smooth, moving puree. Now, unfortunately, I have some Vitamix mixers, but you could use a really good uh, immersion blender. In the mason jar, like I said, you could use a regular blender. You just have to have one that allows you to pour the stuff in, the remaining water, towards the end. Mm-hmm. So... Once you get that pureed, and I'm talking smooth, I want this to be smooth, you're going to whip up two egg whites. Now, the the secret I have, and it's really hard to kind of explain without showing, but I developed a technique for whipping egg whites really, really quick, and same with whipping cream really quick. And I take an oversized bowl. So for for two egg whites, I would use probably a three-quart mixing bowl. And I'm going to take a really large, round, balloon-style whisk. Any whisk will work, but a balloon is better because you're getting more air incorporated into the product. I like to grab it, the whisk, with an overhand grip, and I like to put right off the handle where all the wires come into the handle. I like to put that on the edge of the bowl. Now, I'm going to run up and down, pushing down on the edge of that bowl, and I'm going in straight lines coming back and forth. And every time I go back and forth, I'm going more and more and more and more. And what that's doing with the egg whites is it's elongating them. And when you go on the backstroke, it's shrinking them. And they're snapping together and twisting and turning. And in that process, they're, they're capturing air. Yeah. And it's the way to do it without muscle fatigue. So anyone who sits there and has to do, if they don't do this often enough and they have to whip egg whites, they get tired and they're just using their wrist in the circular motion and it's really hard to do, but if you ride that rail and you elongate that movement, basically you're going in like a little arc and you're just resting the whisk on the rail of the bowl, none of your arm gets tired. Mm-hmm. 
and you can go faster because you're pushing down with resistance on the bowl. And that, within 30 seconds, you have your eggs whipped to stiff peaks. Right, so it's not a real long process. It's not at all, no. Yeah. And But you want to get them semi, semi-stiff. And then you're going to take those egg whites and you're going to fold them in. You're going to fold half the batter into the egg whites, and that's going to kind of temper it. And when I say folding, the technique is to not whisk anymore. You want to be gentle. Mm-hmm. And you want to kind of take a spatula. And you could do this if you're really gentle. You could do it with a whisk. But you want to take and you want to gently fold over the egg white on top of into the batter. You're just turning the bowl a little bit each time, and you're making this kind of overlapping movement. So take your hand, come backwards to your body, and then roll your hand over. And that's the motion. You know, you're kind of creating a C with your hand. And that's the motion that you want to pull. You want to be very gentle with this because you don't want to knock the air out of the egg whites. And then you repeat with the rest of the batter. And that that makes your egg white, your oatmeal pancake batter done. So now it's ready to cook. So now you take a nonstick skillet. Um, you can do this on a cast iron griddle um, or even a baking steel works. Just get it medium heat. You don't need to go too, too hot. Um, you want to make sure that it's greased properly. And then you're going to pour your pancakes on there. Just like every other traditional pancake, as that heat is from the bottom, so now we have hydrolysis, so we have the application of heat below, that's going to create steam, and that steam is combination with the egg whites and the baking powder is going to make the pancake rise, and it's going to form those little holes just like regular pancake batter. Now, when you get a fair amount of holes, right, and you can release the pancake from the bottom, you want to go gently, scrape that up, and then turn it, put it right back on its spot, um, and then you'll see the steam take root, and it will actually rise the pancake. And once that rise stops, your pancake is done. Yeah. Then you've got that great feeling of, you've got that great feeling of self-satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, I don't cook a lot of breakfast. I don't, I don't eat breakfast much, but these were so good. Um, you can even take a banana and puree a banana into there if you want. Right. That will make it moist. If you have leftover canned pineapple, you could do that. Um, even applesauce, you just might need an extra egg white if you want to do that stuff. But anyway, I serve them with um, fresh blueberries, uh, 100% real local maple syrup. Um, we're always fortunate to have people gift us maple syrup throughout the holidays. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe dust it with a little bit of powdered sugar. It's a super easy recipe. It's a great way to introduce kids to complex carbohydrates mm-hmm. that may not just openly run to oatmeal, mm-hmm. even adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... You know, again, it's something that snow will eventually hit us, and it's a great winter morning hearty breakfast. We'll have a photo and recipe of Chef Curtis Hem's oatmeal pancakes on our website a little later this morning. Chef Curtis joins us every month to share a favorite recipe. He runs the Carriage House Cooking School in Peru, New York, and is also the executive chef at the View Restaurant at the Mirror Lake Inn Resort and Spa in Lake Placid. Time now is coming up on 8.27. Ah, come on. Uh, good God. Ow. I'm going downstairs for anybody to get up. I'm going downstairs for anybody to get up. Open up the refrigerator. A little light come on. I get carbonated. Ha. I can't leave it alone. Mama told me not to, but I'm a Root beer for breakfast. Root beer for breakfast. 
go so root beer for breakfast that's vance gilbert a singer songwriter based in the boston area uh nine albums to his credit and uh, monica he has a large standard poodle oh goodness so we gotta love him right <laughs> no we are big dog fans around here <laughs> too true too true well that is it for the show for the day morning edition continues in just a minute then join us for more food themed conversation coming up at lunchtime today on the next fresh air restaurateur rose previtt on her new cookbook maiden recipes from lebanon and beyond that conversation between noon and one today right here on ncpr I'm Monica Sandresky. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.